on another episode of Hero Paranormal Podcast. My name is Ryan, and I am the original outlaw of the airwaves, bringing you all things Hero, this VIP episode, and more. Broadcasting just from the base of La Madre Mountain, just south of Area 51, in the Silver State. That's right, Nevada, Sin City. And uh, we've got a good one today because I'm not going to mess around much. We're just going to get right to it. Talking about Ryan Layton, Bigfoot, uh, Ron Johnson, Daryl Smith, legendary Utah Bigfoot people, others, uh, UFOs, and monoliths. And we're even going to get into some really strange other sightings, is all I can call them, without going into too much detail. Stuff that uh, goes around possible, well, military slash tide installation. It uh, isn't one that I would call a military installation, but militarily tied. Another sighting that is near a monastery and has a more occult, well, foreboding about it. Very eerie tale. And a tale near the Chemical Depot, another military installation in Utah, where, well, we'll get into that one too. It's a bunch of weird, eerie, and, you know, strange the way our conversation just bounced when we uh, got together and chatted. And, uh, well, anyway, let's, let's chat some more. I hope to get other Utah Bigfoot experts that were really boots on the ground during the 70s, 80s, and 90s with some of the strangest stuff that's really ever happened in the state. But then again, I mean, it's 2020. Don't downplay anything happening right now. Just as recently as this week, there was a monolith found in southern Utah somewhere during a sheep count. If I'm not mistaken. I believe it was done from a helicopter. But long story short, uh, some law enforcement officials ended up doing an actual social media post. But I mean, the darn thing looks pretty strange. If you haven't checked it out, go to Fox News 13 and uh, type in monolith and it should pull up as it's very recent news. Maybe nothing, but it might be something. So anyway, we're going to talk about other things that may have been something. And some of these are in the past. Others are not so far back, but I don't like to waste time. Only thing I'm going to promote is heroparanormal.com. Go there, check it out. And that way you can access the archives in a easier, faster, downloadable format than just YouTube, unless you're at home. And if you're jumping in a car, jumping on a plane, wherever you are, sometimes you want to download that quick, and you can do that. Just go to heroparanormal.com, hit archive, and it'll take you there. So without further ado, let's talk Leighton, Bigfoot, UFOs, and monoliths. Hey, Ryan, what's happening, brother? Hey, Mr. Leighton, how you doing? I'm not no get to talk to you. You know, I was... I know you've had your doubts because of the Dave thing. Mm-hmm. You can't, but I don't know what he's 
said to you or whatever or that, but I get this feeling that he's throwing some shit in your direction, and I want you to know it's not whatever he said that's negative. How I feel towards you or whatever, it's not it's not a goddamn grain of truth to it. Okay. Yep. 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 Now I. So you hey, no, I'm, you've been nothing but good to me. You've been a good buddy. And I, every time I wear your Las Vegas uh, baseball hat, I'm constantly—I got your—I got your energy on the top of my head almost every day. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome, man! I'm calling you, uh, Mr. Layton. I'm calling you from a Bigfoot Bigfoot podcast. Um, I'm recording a Bigfoot podcast, and I'm wondering if you would be interested in discussing Bigfoot for about a half an hour to maybe 45 minutes. I would be happy to contribute whatever I can. That's awesome. I wanted to ask now, you... What, uh-huh. Question, why are you doing that on this subject at this time? Well, you know, a lot of reasons. Um, Ron Johnson posted some images of, well, Daryl Smith, and it kind of got the kind of got the ball rolling, and I was talking to Ron... And Iran is, is still kicking. Yep, Ron is still alive and kicking, and oh, and good. he and okay, he's good. he's doing photography. I think more than anything, it's just he's. Now, go- by the way, uh, before we go on, my my adopted daughter is living here with me. Uh huh. I've told her about you, and uh, she thinks it'd be fun to meet you one of these days. <laughs> Oh, that'd I be... told her what a fun dude you were. Like you look like your book should be on the cover of a G two magazine. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But thank you. With me? Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you go? I'm still here. Yep. Oh, you hear all that? I did. I did. That's great. Complimented you. I said, "Yeah, he's a good looking dude. He looks like he should be on the cover of a G gentleman's quarterly uh, magazine." Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so he admires good looking. Uh, so, I know you're a married man, but she thought it would be cool to meet you. I've told her a lot of cool stuff about you. Oh, that's cool. Well, you know, just as a, just as somebody interesting. You know? Yeah. I'm not insinuating nothing. I'm not that kind of a dude. I, I know. And, and you know, the weird thing is, you went out a lot with Daryl and with Ron Johnson looking for... You know, I still have dreams of Daryl on occasion. Yeah, I bet. He's uh, yeah, yeah. He, um, he, in fact, he, I think he even showed himself to me one night. Uh, a few years ago, I had a dream of him. He's standing about 10 feet away, smiling like a pig and shit. And, God, it was so real, I can't begin to tell you. And, I thought, and then when I woke up, I thought, oh, God. He was actually standing in front of me. It was so, so surreal, you know. I remember you telling me about that dream, and it, oh hell, I still think about it on occasion. It was so goddamn real. <laughs> I remember, man. It was um, it was a dream about oh my gosh. Well, yeah, he was, and you know, Daryl was like well, that. You know, I left a big. I don't mean to boast, Brad, but I left a. I was one. I left a big impression on Daryl years ago when he when he found out and. At a, UL, at a Mupon meeting in Salt Lake, and he found out uh, that I was into Bigfoot. My hell, he turned on to me like a pig in doo doo. I couldn't, I couldn't 
get rid of him that day. Because he was so turned on to meet somebody that was uh, involved in the, in the Bigfoot subject. And he and he was he was secretly so interested in all his life. He was so into it, and that brings up like kind oh, of oh God Almighty, he was obsessed, right? Was. You remember the map? That goes, that goes clear back to nineteen eighty nine when I met him. You remember the map? That amazing map he had with all the little feet all over it in the state of Utah. Oh, he's a funny guy. I know you loved him. I wish. Oh, to death. I wish I knew. I know you loved, I, I know you loved Daryl. I, w- <laughs> I wish. He was a funny, he was a funny little, you know, Bigfoot in a way was an escape from reality for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Did you catch that? Big time. Big time. Yeah, because his, what he did for a living was so boring. That he needed something exciting in his life, and Bigfoot filled that gap for him, uh, Ryan. And you know, he he was so good at his job. It was kind of the same thing. He did a really good job with three by five cards. Oh yeah, I know. But what I meant, what he did for a living by selling, uh, he it was a this actually was a boring living. Uh, that he did, but he did it, and that was selling insurance. Excuse me, I got a mouthful of fiber here. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was an insurance it. salesman. I remember he kind of caught, he kind of pushed me in the direction of real estate because I remember I was going to sell a house, and I thought I was really smart at the time. This was years ago. I mean, I met Daryl, I think, in 2004, five. And it was, he explained the math behind not selling the house. And I was, my jaw hit the floor because he was, oh, he, he so quickly, he, he was so quick with the numbers, no calculator, no nothing. Just, you I'll know. Bet, I'll bet you didn't know this about, and then we'll get back on subject. Yeah. On track. I'm leaving it off. To, off it's all, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Grace Nixon, his dad and his brothers are multi-millionaires altogether in the real estate world. I bet you didn't know that. I bet I never told you that, and he never did either. I never knew that. Oh, my God. They're amazing when you find out the facts, but we'll save that for another day. Yeah, he was, he was, he was something else. Daryl was something else. And yeah, well, let me just tell you one funny story. I hate to... Uh, he cut you off, and I'm rude anyway. So no, put go, up go for it. No, let's do it. Uh, there was a uh, movie they were advertising at uh, the Tower of the Gator a few years ago one night, and it was a packed crowd in there on 9th and 9th. I know you're familiar with the, it. The Tower. Sorry. The Tower. Yeah, the Tower in Sugar uh, House. Well, anyway, I was at the meeting there that night, and... Good hell, the people were, you know, in the lobby and all that wasn't that big. It was uh, packed people like sardines in tin pan. I mean, you could, not, I mean, talk about coronavirus spread. Mm-hmm. Everybody was right next to each other years ago. And we were supposed to meet so that we, you know, that night for the event. Well, he didn't know. He was in there, and it was body. You couldn't even move in there. It was just bumper to bumper humans. 
stand it. And, you know, with all that. Well, he didn't know that I had spotted him. This is so, this is so funny, Ryan. And so I got right close to him because you could see everybody was standing, stacked in there like a, a, a stock of asparagus, everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I got crouched down where he didn't see me because people were all, you couldn't even move in that place, you know. And uh, I started stepping on his foot and ankle. And I was ducked down because I had all that cover from other people. And he didn't even know what the hell was going on. Who was stepping on his foot. <laughs> he was like, what's this guy's problem? What is? Oh, yeah. I, I was making it a little bit painful, too. And he just sat there with a smile looking at everybody like, okay, which one of you keep stepping on me? <laughs> What is this? What is this guy's oh, problem? Oh, that was funny. I, I still think about that and laugh my ass off when I think about that. Oh my God! Did you get the picture? Yeah, he was serious. <laughs> anyway, so when Ron, I, I remember Ron and him and yourself had some pretty amazing experiences out by. Well, dang, it was out by Merker ish. Am I right? Or Wilson? No, I'm sorry. Wilson Air yeah, Force more Base. Of, more of, yeah, Merker. More of them than me. I never really did sing anything at Merker myself, personally. Mm-hmm. Do you remember you that? Were, were you in... Now, Al, was that's, it Alan Woody that was on that case as well? And he's he's deceased since, but I know that he was on that case for a while. Was it at, what was his name? I can't remember. But that there was a case out that way where a woman was seeing. I think Dave Rosenfeld was on it too. A woman was seeing yeah. something out there, and it was a new build and a new area and newly developed. I can't remember uh, exactly. It was in Utah, and I think it was out by one of the bases or possibly the chemical depot. But I don't remember too much about. Oh, it. I know what you're thinking of. I was always intrigued by that case. Oh, that's the one. Oh, yeah, I know exactly. I believe I know what you're talking about. That's when. You want to hear it for a quick? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, please, please. I would love to hear it. Yeah. That one restricted property on the burn plant. You're right. You got that right. It was on the burn plant property with the fence, you know, that says uh, excessive force, uh, stay out, you know, government property, uh, you know, natural, you know, and a big one, to, you know, keep people off of that, you know, which was several, probably several hundred acres, you know, surrounding the, uh, the plant. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, with the wire turned in, the, you know, the big job like that. But what happened here, the one you want to remember the most is what, uh, I'll never forget that, how amazing that was. Um, uh, Security at the plant, they had Humvee patrols, mm-hmm. you know, around the perimeter here and there and that. That's, and from that's, 1,700 mm-hmm. feet away, one of the Humvee per, uh, patrols spotted a large, dark, uh, quick-moving individual. And so at the time, it was initially reported that there was a breach of security with an individual dressed in black, appearing to be quite large, from 1,700 feet out. 
Wow. Well, when they dashed over there to intercept the individual, there was nobody in sight. And, you know, you can imagine it probably only took them a few seconds to put that vehicle, or it could have been more than one vehicle of memory, certainly, to apprehend the individual who was not supposed to be inside that bench in that low uh, priority secure location, right? Right. Yeah. You still, still yeah. with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so it just was it. So when they get there, there's, no, there's nobody to apprehend. And there's no way an individual could have ran the 100, 150 yards approximately to pole vault over the fence with a pole vault and elude them. And so it's been long thought that it was actually a Sasquatch-type apparition or individual that they actually saw. And in the initial report to the news, I'll never forget the base commander making a point of uh, the, the height and the approximate weight of the mystery individual. Now, see, they could have, if that was a normal person that had breached the, they would have been able to intercept and apprehend the individual. He had to know where to go. It doesn't take but a few seconds for a, a Humvee to go 1,700 feet. Mm-hmm. And arrest the guy, and you know, but it wasn't a guy. Amazing. And I, I remember the commander making a big deal out of the height and the weight. And so, you know, what difference does it matter how big or how tall or how much approximate weight the interluder the uh, uh, is? It, it it doesn't matter, you know a. Uh, so he kind of let the cat out of the bag by being so concerned of the height and the what, making a point to the media about the height and the weight. You still with me? Oh, absolutely. It's just so amazing. Yeah. And what happened, and then for like two to three days later, it was constant air patrol in the area to find the, uh, what's the word, the, the uh, intruder. Uh and the intruder was never was found. No car parked by, no nothing. No tracks. There was no intruder, right. I think dogs were even brought in uh, after the fact, and they couldn't even lead them anywhere to nothing. But somebody was there with those big proportions. Unbelievable. Right? And, this, and so this... they patrolled it from the air for you know quite some time and never found their man. Yeah, because that their man was probably interdimensional, actually. That's what it sounds like. And, and, and the sheriff patrols on the outside were running all over in the area doing their part, too, and nothing suspicious was ever found. So, it's... Uh, but I think the... Uh, within the system, uh, Ryan, I think the uh, security and intelligence figured out eventually what the hell they were dealing with. Probably right off, shortly after the get-go, I would assume. They follow my drift. They, they added it to an X-File or something. Yeah. Another, Is that the one you were thinking of? That's, yeah, see, that's, yeah, that's, that's the one. That's the one, because I had, in about 2006, 
I had a coworker. I was working at a uh, hotel company and I had a coworker who had a experience out there similar with a large being. This was years before. It would have been around the same timeline, actually. And that's why I really wanted to get some information about if you knew what years that was, because this coworker saw, well, a similar thing where they were out there and they were thinking about finding a camp spot somewhere around Merker, you know, not the greatest place to camp. Um, I actually think they were one canyon over. Is that Ofer? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think they were at that one, which is also within, you know, throwing distance to that, to that same area. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. I'd say this is probably the year 2001, two or three. Okay. It's been a hell of a long time. It's been a long time already. Yep. Yep. Very interesting. Great case. Another case I wanted to ask you about was the case out in your neck of the woods up on the mountain where it was like oh, I, miles away. I was away. just thinking of getting my CD out the other day of that. I haven't seen that for such a long time. Yeah, go ahead. Address that question. It's, when, are you, when are you going to do your podcast here in about half an hour? Oh, no. We're live now. We're on. Oh, you no. Know, I didn't realize that. Good thing I didn't. Yeah. Use any of the seven words you shouldn't use on the uh, radio. Well, we can drop them afterwards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're doing it now. I didn't under. I didn't even realize. Uh, I'll shoot you. Okay. A, I'll shoot Let's you a link. I'll shoot you a link when I'm done. Oh, and it's Ron. Jo- it's Ron Johnson's birthday, so we should shout out and shoot him a happy birthday. Another so big. He's, uh, he's uh, another Bigfoot researcher from kind of that same era. <laughs> I would say he's 68 years old today. I bet you're real close, if not right on the money. I think I'm right on the money. If he's not 68, he's 67. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's a, the, he, anyway, go he, ahead. He's a cool cat. He's a cool cat. He's got a, a few interesting endeavors of his own, Bigfoot-wise. Um, that story, well, gosh, that footage, there's actually footage. It's not just, you know, a story or a personal experience. There's an actual video that goes along with it that I think is two minutes long or something. Can you go into that and, and kind of the backstory about it? Oh, wait, run, run through that again. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lost there. Yeah, I, I think there was a. The, the, I'm not quite following that. I, I think there was. It wasn't. This isn't just a story we're talking about. That video that was caught on the mountain there in your neck of the uh-huh. woods in Layton. Was it Layton? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it, in the middle of the winter. And uh-huh. uh, my gosh. I mean, you were right there, boots on the ground, moments afterwards. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and a little bit about the backstory and how, how you ended up uh, investigating that case? No, I, I actually wasn't there right after it happened. I found out sometime later. Uh, I can't remember right offhand how much later I found out. But what, what happened that day, the very simple beginning, a kid uh, that lived a great distance away was used to bringing out his uh, binoculars and looking at the mountain. And the mountain, it's not real close. I'd say, this. I'd say he was probably at least three-quarters of a mile or so away. But 
but he was used to, you know, nice, quiet morning, and he was used to putting binoculars on the, and, you know, and just for the fun of it, seeing if he could spot deer. Well, on this particular uh, morning, uh, with binoculars, he sees this, and I realize that's a great distance away, but he sees a large individual with some kind of a hump or something on the back, uh, and, uh, and it looked extremely big and black and bulky. Uh, it wasn't moving too, it would stop and pause. There's a bit of a, I've been there several times, there's a bit of a bare spot there in between the oak brush. And probably for, uh, so when he saw that, he rushed to get the family camera. And I believe it was maybe even an old-fashioned 8-millimeter or 16-millimeter, uh, something like that. Nothing really too state-of-the-art. Uh, and took that picture. This was like, what, around 2000? Oh, this is a long time ago, too. It's probably around 2001. So the years are really flying now. But anyway, so what he did... He got the family camera and shot the footage of the because the individual wasn't moving very quickly. It would pause and stop. So he shot it, got it on camera from that distance, telephoto lens, and it covered. I've been up there, and I, you know, like I say, I know the turf. So probably the individual probably covered about seventy something odd yards in uh, what they uh, about oh. 90-something seconds, because it wasn't on the run. It was uh, being rather casual. And some kind of something on the back, uh, and he can't really make it out too well, but uh, it could have been, if it was a Bigfoot, which we believe it is now, it had a uh, juvenile on his back, and that was the protrusion on the back and not a big backpack. But here's what is interesting about the case. Is that the, the kid and his father and about three others, about a party of five, went to that same location, and it's easy to spot. You wouldn't get you wouldn't get uh, thrown off because uh, it's uh, very identifiable and easy to get to uh, when you hike up. Only probably about a oh less than a thousand feet up off the the elevation of the beginning of the, of the mountain, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they arrived there 90, 90 minutes later, Ryan. Wow. Are you still with me? Yeah. Okay. And the conditions were the same in the last, no temperature change, no rain, no sleet, no snow, no wind. Everything was the same conditions 90 minutes later when this party of five arrived on the location after he took the footage. But here's what's weird. And they were on the right spot. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a, mm-hmm. a problem of not being on the exact location of the uh, individual in the footage and covering that 70-something plus yard. Here's what's weird. And I heard it from most of the party. There was approximately four to six inches of snow in that uh, bare area. There had been a fire there years ago, so that area was fairly bare in between the uh, uh, oak, oak brush coverage. There were no tracks. 
Whoa. And not anywhere even close. Unbelievable. They ventured out several, you know, quite distances at 360. In fact, there was no tracks of any kind, deer, fox, coyote, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you would think in 90 minutes, with the conditions being the same, constant, you would have seen tracks because it had to move the by the time he put the camera on it till it disappeared in oak brush. Oh, for sure. There should there should be something there. There should be something there. There was nothing there. Fascinating. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now, now that kind of leads me into another another one that I needed to ask you about involving a fish farm. I've got this in my notes, but I don't have the location. I have North Ogden. That's the, the one. Bark, yep. The bark, the cold water fish farm, cold water canyon, North Ogden. What in the world happened up there? It was in the eighties, correct? Yes, and a couple incidences in the nineties. Oh wow! What happened first in the eighties, and then or, I I don't know if I heard about what happened in the nineties. This sounds I'm more intrigued now than ever. Oh, well, I'll have to do it in bits and pieces quickly as to not go into a lot of detail and stall this out. But uh, <clears throat> in the 80s, the staff there and the owner of the uh, fish farm noticed uh, some fish out on the bank, half-eaten, you know, bites at them, and great big human-like tracks in the raceways, you know, where the moss is. You're, you're a fisherman, you know, about all this stuff. And uh, alongside the raceways, muddy areas, and there was your typical Bigfoot threat, you know, a large human bear print. This is the initial one. There are several other occasions here, but uh, uh, that was what, uh, that was one of the first indications. Uh, And there's been a lot of other reports from other people in the area uh, Bigfoot coming down that particular canyon, Coldwater Canyon. Did you not ever make a, a visit to Coldwater Canyon? It's the next one to the south of the Ogden, the famous Ogden Divide. It takes you from uh, uh, from Ogden up over to Ogden Valley, up near Pineview and all that. Did you not ever go there? I went up and investigated that after the first time you told me about it. And it was beautiful. That area is gorgeous. Yeah, but there have been a lot of other incidences. And another bizarre, high strangeness one is not far from there was a guy who raised pigs. And I personally got to interview him. Uh, The owner of the fish farm took me to him. And um, this was a crazy one, too. If you want to get into weird ones. Yeah. Uh, So he's missing an occasional pigs out of his pen. You know, and uh, one night he catches the culprit, and it's Bigfoot himself, palming one of those pigs like it was a football, you know, like a basketball. And he's uh, he's only about 30 to 40 feet away, and he goes out, I believe, with 30 odd six, and squares it up on him, and they both froze in their tracks. 
That was the call. It wasn't a cougar. It was, you know, he's got a good look at the Bigfoot stealing his pig more than once. <coughs> and uh, Bigfoot took off on a run, still holding the pig, probably carrying it like a football by then, if I remember. Holy hell. It ran through that. There was an alfalfa field in the back. He was showing me the direction. But he didn't fire on it. And it ran, and it was as fast as a, uh, as a horse would run at full gallop. And, you know, on two legs. And then shortly, he could see where it hopped over a small canal and then was dodging in and out of the oak brush, and he lost it. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to add Holy one of the parts. And did he still have the... Excuse, yeah, go on. Excuse me. I forgot to add an integral part of what happened. Mm-hmm. He actually did try to shoot it from 30 to 40 feet out. And guess what happened? What? The pin hit the center rim, and, and but the bullet did not discharge. Gotta be kidding me. No, this is not the only one of these I've been told from personal, from individuals. I, I've got one more that I interviewed, too, on this thing. The same type of strange, I mean, how do you, this is, this is even, has nothing to do with, with, um, uh, what am I trying to say, a microwave type of energy. This is mechanical. Right, right. What? So uh-huh. he, went, he went up shortly that canyon where he figured it went through the oak brush and up that cold water. And he went up looking for more tracks and evidence. You think most people are scared they'd leave it they'd leave this alone. But he went up there and he discharged that same bullet. It missed it not fire when he was gonna hit the Bigfoot point blank. So, um, that's just that's yeah, a story. Yeah. Just didn't. And if that all adds up to be totally one hundred percent true, how in the HEWQ could you explain a phenomena like that? Impossible. In, it, it, the coincidence is mathematically yeah. impossible. Yeah. And I I feel that the man. I would have to re-interview him if he's still alive today. That's been quite a number of years ago. Uh, but. Uh, at the time, I must honestly tell you, I felt that he was telling the truth and nothing but the truth. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the guy that led me to him, the owner of it, he's a big game hunter. Now, he, he, that's Jay Barker that owns the fish farm, ironically speaking, who had a sighting up at Coomerant with another man and about six Boy Scouts that made national news in the high Uintas of eastern Utah in 1979. And I, I, know, you, I know you're familiar with that somewhat, are you not? I am, I, I am, but it's such a good story that it has, to be, it has to be told, especially I know that you know probably 90% more than I do about that case. Well, I interviewed most of these people, and, you know, and it's, it was, yeah, I, I remember, I recall quite a bit, but if you, you know, in that many years, though, uh, you do sometimes lose some of your recall, you know, of the, like, as, for example, as I was just telling you that about the big, mm-hmm. 
I almost forgot and left, left out the fact that he actually did lose the trigger. Sure. Well, that's why it's good to talk about these things and get them down yeah. because so that's really yeah. that's really weird. I mean, really, you know, how do you explain that? And then that same bullet discharge. Would you like to hear another quick one similar to that? Oh yeah, but let's go into uh, the the seventy nine case a little bit. Can you t- tell us a little bit more about that one, and then go into the next one? Well, that was the famous. See, I didn't even know about it. 79. I didn't even know about that. It was on the news and national news and made a big hoopla. But I didn't actively get involved in uh, interviewing and going on location and tracking and the whole bit till 1980 mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. You know, when some sightings occurred between where I live in Ogden, Utah, and a couple of little towns up there, you're probably, you probably know where South Weaver is. Yeah, like you went sure. Uh, out of Weaver, some incidents occurred up there in February of '80, and that's when I physically got involved. And I, to this day, I <laughs> after that, uh, it became oh, I cannot believe all the cases and all the interviews and everything to do with the subject that has occurred in my life since I I didn't see this one coming. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this one triggered uh, my uh, passion and pursuit in uh, uh, investigating all of these events and interviewing these people and going on location and reenacting, et cetera, and so on and so on and so on. That, that uh, lit the fire. In 79, I didn't know about the Cooper and Basin sighting and he went about with Jay Barker and the scouts. Uh, and that made national news in the day. That was a, uh, basically they just uh, were on a hike and were on a ledge and looked down on one of the lakes. There's three little lakes up in the high limits. And they basically thought they were seeing a moose at first and saw this thing on two legs, you know, scurrying about. So the kids rolled rocks down the side of the uh, mountain there, down towards that locate, and yelled and screamed at it, and then shortly it went out of sight. And basically, that was the the initial 79 sighting over Jay Barker. And then, ironically, this thing shows up on his, he is, which threw a lot of doubt for some people, but it doesn't apply, uh, shows up on his property. Uh, a few short years later in North Ogden on the fish farm. Wow. Same kind of area, really. I mean, general area. Yeah. By, by the way, Daryl and I had uh, actually hot. Daryl was so into that location because when him and I actually backpacked into there in the 90s for a couple of days so I could show him the, you know, you're so enthusiastic, it's kind of hard to, turning down so we we actually backpacked into that that area i really wish that uh yeah he put some serious miles on with his walking sticks with the and he was dead set on what he was doing and um that but that i had, ho- to, chew him, I had to cheer him out though on that backpack because he wore a white shirt i remember and I yeah said, oh Darryl, a button-up are you gonna announce your your presence Miles away up. <laughs> I went in that 
he was ready to sell the Bigfoot insurance if he met it. Yeah. <laughs> I said, anything but that white shirt. <laughs> I could, you know, you could see you coming miles away here, you know. It, it reminds me of other people who go, go in, they go into the field. To, at all here. Yeah, know? they go into the field dressed as if they are at their day job. But, um... <laughs> It is what it is. The you know the he was he was hardcore, but that whole area had an explosion, and I wanted to kind of go up a little bit off of that area, not too far off, but Monte Cristo, and get into the caped figures. Oh, several sightings up in Monte Cristo. Can we talk about there the caped figures? Several of them. Yeah, well, that's where this other that's where this other bullet phenomena occurs. Oh, let's get into and all of it if we can. This yeah, this is a good one. This one relates to the pig farmer down below in the valley there by the. This okay. Is a similar story. Let me let me let me rip. Let me get. Let me tell you this one. It's because this will make an impression too. You need to see how it relates to the story of uh, the pig farmer near the uh, fish farm that I just told you. And the phenomena of the bullet not the church. Okay. This was a couple. This is 1979, and they're up there hunting. I can't remember if it was elk or deer. I believe it's elk. There's a famous little case out there called Mount McKinney up mm-hmm. there in Monte Cristo. And a lot of people know where this water, particular water hole is because it's not too far off the main road. And the man's name was Larry Darling, and, his, and him and his wife. And uh, they were waiting one evening, you know, uh, as you know, animals show up to drink in the evening hours. So they're not too far away, waiting to see what shows up at the water hole. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, oh, let's see, what's the distance? Well, it wasn't very far, 90 to 120 feet, something like that, if I recall, which is real close. Mm-hmm. Here's this hairy, you know, big, tall uh, individual of, Flowing hair, you know, the typical the physical description of a Bigfoot, coming in the direction of that little uh, water hole, if you follow this. Wow. And it apparently wasn't aware of them, Brian. They were aware of it before it was aware of them. And then when it became aware of them, you started distorting its facial, you know, figure and its teeth. And, uh, Started, it looked like it was starting did to you say did that, you say he started snorting a little bit yeah well yeah you know just kind of use your imagination yeah yeah all that yeah, kind of yeah. no that sounds very that falls right in line with some other yeah wait a minute wait a minute she had the scope on it because it was her turn to shoot the and so she tosses the gun to larry and says shoot that it's there's a monster that's a monster mm-hmm. or something to that effect i know that sounds silly that I remember, no, not at all. Uh, that's what they told me uh, when I interviewed them. And uh, so he went to, sh- it was, looked like it was going to move in their direction quickly. And it, believe me, that doesn't take them long to cover ground when you're as fast or as swift as a race horse, mm-hmm. you know, on two legs. I mean, that's swift, and that, even in that terrain. All right, now having said that, he decided to shoot a warning shot over his head. Were you ready for this? Yeah, yeah. His bullet 
Again. Discharge either. A misfire. Yeah, but what are the chances? That is physically, mathematically, and just basically impossible. And, and I oh, mean, yeah, the hunters have told me that, uh, including Jay Barker himself, big time game hunter. The the odds of that are uh, uh, astronomical. So, but here's what else happened. True story. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the BSer and a storyteller. I'm telling you exactly as the interview went with these individuals. Mm-hmm. I'm telling the truth. I, I yeah. Have no oh, reason. I know you are. I know you are. Yeah, I know you know I am. But in case your audience is picking up on this, like, oh, boy, there's a story. There's a storyteller. If there ever was one. Okay, so here's what happened. They had bought. While that thing was close by, nearby, they, of all things to hunt elk in, they had a brand new 79 Subaru. You know, remember them little teen trucks with them? What a strange vehicle to go hunting in, you know? Right, right. Well, anyway, while it was near, so they rushed panically to go get in that, because it was close by, to get the hell out of there. And, uh, the thing wouldn't start. It wasn't that, the, you know, they were fiddling around. So, again, similar to the misfire. Uh, okay, this is electromagnetic here. Now, the, the rifle, as you know, is mechanical. Mm. How do you apply this to a mechanical mm-hmm. thing? But this is uh, the electromagnetic is the word I was looking for. The Subaru wouldn't start as long as this thing was cooked. But when I guess it backed off and it was out of sight, the thing started up. And they rushed down the Highway 39 there in the Monte Cristo, you know, uh, shaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not remarkable, but shaken. Mm-hmm. And so they go down about a mile or so, get out of the vehicle, and, and again, True story, uh, Ryan. The bullet just the bullet fires. Same bullet. Just, You're kidding how me. The hell do you? So, is there some kind of supernatural thing going on here in the mechanic? I can see the electromagnetic stuff with vehicles. You're familiar with all those types of oh yeah stories, cars and equipment, machinery, and so on. Uh, but this is McCann. So there's another one, very similar. Isn't this interesting when you get into this? It is it's so a, weird. Very, it is very so similar weird. to what happened down uh, to the uh, Peterson was the, the man's name, the pig farmer. Uh, the Jay Barker himself took me to to go to interview and speak. Same kind of uh, situation there. So there's food for thought for the serious. Individual that's looking at this uh, this uh, uh, and that that area. You said there's a variety of other sightings very close by, and oh yes, plenty of them. One man out here in Roy, Utah, runs a tire. Big, another big game hunter galore. Taylor, uh, Carl, Carl Taylor. Hmm. Uh, good guy. He uh, 
watched Lum for over a, well over a thousand feet from the time he picked it up up in Monte Cristo. And uh, where he was at was a place called Piss At Flat. Oh, great. <laughs> great he name, great name. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, he's, he's seen it coming, and he was up on a higher level on a small little overhang cliff. And it when it was walking, it was directly right below him and never really... And you think of them as being extrasensory perceptive and being able to be, you know, pick up on anything in their environment. Well, this walked right by him. You know, of course, he, had the, he was up looking down uh, somewhat, as he described to me. And then, I, and then it can, he watched it, went past him, and I said, when I stood out there at his business that day interview, I said, how much further did you watch that? Did you watch it be that Bigfoot when you when it walked below directly below you from the and so he gave me a landmark there right there in the town on the main street highway of Roy and good hell where he pointed where he finally lost eyesight confidential with it my hell uh, it was like another thousand feet away right right so he 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 got to observe it for a fairly good length of time. And this, this too, is a big game hunter, a big-time big, big game hunter in the area. And hunters know what they're talking about. Kind of switching gears a bit, Mr. Layton, there was a little sure. bit There was a little bit of a, gosh, I mean, I guess it's somewhat similar to a Bigfoot, but there were some figures that were witnessed that were more occult in nature, and I can't... Oh, you remember well, yes. That's another weird one. Could we go into... Really, that that case is weird, fascinating. We're really dealing with the weird cases on this podcast. Oh, yeah, just <laughs> nothing but mind blowers here. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a weird one. That, yep. And, but this one, I'm. we got time to tell it? You bet, you bet. Yeah, uh, there's a couple more similar to it, and they're, of the three that I know of, I've never heard anything else that even resembles other than the three incidents through the years. Uh, I mean, this is like a, I mean, like, these are rare, because you, I just, I've only heard three mm-hmm. of these, and I've covered a lot of ground with uh, folks through the years. But then, essentially, let me get into it. <clears throat> uh, one guy, a cowboy guy I knew, in fact, I rented uh, my pasture to him once years ago. But at any rate, he's up in the Monte Cristo, and he sees uh, where they cut the trees there for fire, fire lines. I can't remember the distance without referring, and I probably lost my notes and information on some, a lot of these by now. But anyway, so I can't remember the exact distance, to be honest with you. But he sees three individuals. You know, that's the middle of nowhere up there. I mean, this is weird. So he sees three individuals that are about seven, he was close enough to, See that they were extremely tall, yeah, about seven feet tall, plus maybe huge. Then yes, but here's the thought: this probably has nothing. This has probably zero to do with Bigfoot, other than the uh, high strangeness, paranormal aspect of it. 
is that they are dressed in monk robes. Would you say called? Now, I don't think they were mortal, personally. And I'll tell you why later on based on this. And so he sees them, and one of them has a staff. Just one of them. So just one of them had a staff. Yes, and the two other with them. And he couldn't see it, you know, because of the hoods. He couldn't see any facial. How uh, freaky. He scared the hell out of him, and he he didn't observe too long. But again, I don't recall the exact daytime. Oh, this was a day. This was a daytime sighting. See, I didn't know oh, that. Yeah, but I, I don't recall the. I wish I could honestly say uh, exactly what the. It's unclear to me in memory just exactly how close he was. Right. Right. Now, was but, this was but, this was an instance? Did positively, make those physical. Uh, uh, you mentioned. Uh, you didn't think that they were living beings or alive, really? Well, no, uh, mortals. I well, mortal, say, I'm sorry, yeah, I mean, mortal. You have, to, you have to be seven foot tall to belong to a cult. <laughs> right. Now, there is, there is a monastery. You've probably been to that monastery up in Ogden Valley. Uh, I've stayed weeks at that place. Yeah, I used to love it. It's a shame that it's no longer open. Well, it's not like a bunch of monks went on AWOL, seven foot tall monks that decided to split the scene at the monastery and go, you know, go out in the nature, seven feet tall in, you know, monk costumes, you know, that's similar to that, right? So weird. So that doesn't make any sense. You can rule that out. Even though, as the crow flies, miles away, a few short miles away, there is that monastery. But these were not monks. It's because, what's the chances of three seven-foot-tall monks up there, uh, you know, it's pretty a solitude factor way up at a you know in a remote outback like that. Pretty unlikely. Okay, so, so there's one. Now the second one, the first one I ever heard was from a guy that worked in a post office in Murray. And I remember going down there. I was so interested in it. If I went down to the workplace and waited until he went on lunch so I could speak to him about it in the flesh. See if, he, see if I could pick up on the truthfulness of the statements. And uh, he was up fishing. I can't remember the exact location. Somewhere in Utah's high country here. And he uh, he uh, got disoriented and had to spend the night uh, sleeping uh, in a grove of uh, Corkinath Street. Somewhere. I don't even remember the exact location on this. You know, a lot of these have been years ago, for crying out loud. So, but anyway, he, when he wakes up at the early morning hours, you know, and he's up against a tree trying to keep warm because he got momentarily lost, he sees three individuals. See the parallel what I'm about to tell you? He mm-hmm. sees three individuals that are about seven feet tall in robes and one with a staff. Whoa. In a completely far away location in the Monte Cristo area that I just told you, in the mountainous country. Now, what's up with this stuff? But at the time when he saw him, he thought they, he was so glad to see some kind of human movement, but so he thought, he was yelling and screaming from his position, Hey, 
hey, I'm right here, I'm here, I'm here. You know, like he's been crowned and he was lost. Right, right. Why not? And they, they never looked up, broke stride or a damn thing, and eventually walked into another grove of something. I don't remember how the distance again. And he never saw him again, and they never responded. Didn't stop. You know, and he's yelling and screaming that, you know, like, here I am, you know, like, you know, oh, good. People, I'm going to be, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be led back on the right trail to civilization here. They didn't even stop. They had hoods on. He couldn't see any facial things. Again, the staff, three of them, seven feet tall. Now, Um, what's up with this stuff? Now, one more. Yeah, let's do it. Up Ogden, or Monte Cristo again. A guy, uh, I uh, got the interview, I found out about the interview. As a small Japanese truck back in those days, 80, you know, you, you've owned your share of Japanese trucks, but yours have been nice ones. <laughs> anyway, you bet, you he's bet. got uh, a couple of, some people, they're just out driving around late at night, adventurizing, you know, and what. And uh, he's got a guy in the back that can't fit everybody in those little caps. So one of the guys is in the back of the, of the I'll call it the Toyota, about 80s type. And they're going up late at night up through the winding road there on Highway 39, Monte Cristo. Goes up in that country, and if he kept going, and you'd go into Wyoming, you know. But at any rate, this time there's only one of them of the tall seven-foot robed individuals. And I can't remember if this one individual has a staff or not. But again, here's the same, you know, here's the same description, Brian. And uh, when he saw it, it was like standing, oh, almost in the center of the two-lane road winding through the, the mountainous terrain there. And he got a, a really eerie feeling like this thing was evil. Oh, it, really? You know, I, I, okay. Real energy. But in fact, he had to kind of drive around it except on his, uh, to avoid hitting the individual. That's really uh, freaky. Like, really now freaky. The kid in the back saw it because he picked up speed and accelerated when they. And the kid in the back said. He felt whatever this thing, he felt some kind of work. If this thing, if it wanted to, had the power and the capability to yank him right out of the back of that truck. And, and, a, and a perceived evil to boot. Yes. Now, there's three of those are the only three of that nature in all these years I've heard. So and fascinating. In to bit. In comparison to the Bigfoot sightings, you know what, uh, hundreds of Bigfoot-related sightings, or dozens, dozens and dozens and dozens, and dozens and dozens and more, you know, and that, you know, you're talking, you know, in a 40-year period, yeah, 40 years, and, and only three of these types. So nobody knows. Nobody's been able to give me any, you know, official feedback other than but just between you and me and uh, some of your listeners uh, wow what's up with this phenomenon you know yeah 
Yeah, and that area is explosively active. Man, I wish we could talk about it all day, and we need to talk again soon. Let's wrap it up with one, if you have, and it doesn't have to be Bigfoot-related if you don't want it to be, Mr. Layton, but one last one. Whatever you want it to be, Ryan, go ahead. I'm going to let you take it away. Whatever you think is uh, most unique and, and one you want to mention. Well, there's several of them, really. Let's do but it. The, Let's do I would it. Say the, the, I would say the mother of all sightings was actually a UFO sighting. I like it. I like it. Okay, I'll, since you're running out of time, I'll try to go through this real quickly. No, we can stretch it out a bit. Let's let's do it. Okay. Let's do it right. Yeah. Uh, this goes back to uh, about 1966 in northern Utah. Yeah, near the Baikal rocket booster plant. Have you ever been out in that country, up on the northern? I've been out there. I used to know the uh, HR person out there, and I saw some of the rocket testing out there, and it was just fascinating. Yeah, so yeah, I've been out there. It's crazy. Pretty neat. This event wasn't far from the actual plant. And yes, this involved uh, two young people who were dry farmers, last name Sorensen out of Logan, Utah, that they owned a lot of farmland up there. And yes, they were young men, uh, about uh, 12, 13, and 16, respectively, a brother and a sister. And uh, one particular night, they, you know, as farmers do, folks, they have to irrigate uh, in the wee hours of the morning. So this is the wee hours of the morning on one particular night, 1966. You know, both of them are in their 60s today. Uh, however, uh, all of a sudden, hello, this is amazing. And I know this. I know that. I know they're telling the truth. They have this guy runs a major insurance uh, operation, here. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, he's even, which is a no-no, career killer. He's even shared this story with his some of his fellow insurance salesmen, which would, <laughs> if they did, you know, could be a career killer. But anyway, here's here's what happens. Let's get to the good part. Get to the action. So they're, they're up irrigating in the wee hours of the morning. And all of a sudden, oh, this is a good one. The uh, sky blocks out right over the top of them. They can't see nothing. I what? mean, all of a sudden there's an object, I should say. And it covers everything. And it's approximately a minimum of 150 to 250 feet directly overhead. And uh, it's got concave and convex lights all over it. But it can't see the sky, and, and their first initial reaction was instinctive. They didn't know, of course, in those days, you're not thinking mothership. They didn't know why. I mean, they panicked, and they both dove into the uh, alfalfa that they were watering, into the dirt with their faces, you know, burrowed in. They caused the startling effect of something that uh, colossal right over your head. They thought they were about to be crushed. Of course. By whatever the flip this thing was, you know. Oh, this was an. This is the mother of all of my interviews. 
and I've had some good ones. And so that was the distance overhead. It made no sound and probably took uh, as long. It must have been in idle. It must have been in post <laughs> because it took, he figures, 20 to 30 minutes to pass directly overhead. Unbelievable. And um, let me think. The, uh, oh, and periodically they would look up from a prone position because they're still down on their bellies most of the time. In fact, not all of it, probably all of it, thinking that this thing, if it sat down, was going to crush it. Which right. would be an honest, natural response and answer. You would be horrified to see that. Of course you would. Yeah, no pressure, no sound, no noise. And then when it finally passed overhead, and they could see the sky again, it was heading in a southerly direction. This is out in Howe Valley, a very remote area. Matter of fact, back in college days, I uh, used to hunt rabbits. Did you? Rabbits with, uh, with uh, my fellow knucklehead. Now, there's not a lot out there from what I remember. Well, there's nothing out there but dry farms and stuff. It's probably still the same today. I haven't been up there for years. That's that's kind of why they do the testing out there. Well, the the booster plant is probably from where this took place. Uh, I'm going to say a minimum of three to six miles down. Oh man! Away, so it's relatively close. Oh man, it's really close. That's really close. A lot closer than I thought. Yeah. Well, anyway, being a country boy and all, and everything like that, knowing the turf and the terrain, the family, he could estimate. The size of this thing, here's, here's the surprise here's the, uh, right here. Here's, based on the uh, landmarks, now, this thing was at least a mile, if not possibly a mile and a half in length. An absolutely huge craft. And it went in the direction of the rocket boost of Vicon. In fact, right, he estimates right where the, it shot up into the sky, like a golden streak when it was that far away from from where it was when it went past overhead a few minutes. So that particular night, 1966, you know damn well the security there at the rocket booster plant had to have seen this up close and personal. <laughs> they had some so something had to so have been joke, seen. So the joke is is that they were probably taking a tour. <laughs> you know, of, oh and here's what the humans are doing with their their space Here's one of their well, there oh, are a little uh, bit of humor talk. Well, there, it kind of is interesting because there's a history, a long history of UFOs engaging with nuclear plants and military facilities, so that falls oh, into yeah. line. Oh yes, of course. Uh-huh. But this comes from uh, some very honest people, and uh, you know, even though it's '66, no drugs involved, no alcohol, none of. None of that horseplay. More upright, straight, truth-speaking folks, even though they were young at the time, like I said, telling you the facts, based on if you can remember everything I said. Mm-hmm. So here's, 
here's the thing. Here's the here's the impact. Wow. Who are these beings? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, and this isn't one of a kind. There have been, you know, mile shit long vehicles spotted numerous times around the planet, actually. I'm going to divulge a little. Do you... This is one that I think, going back to Daryl, how strange, but this is like the Daryl cast. The um, Did you ever, or you may have been involved, I don't know, and I think Ron Johnson may have also been involved. I can't remember the characters and their players that were telling the story, but there was a farmer. Yeah, there's, there's, there, so much. there's so many of these. There's so many of them. There was one. There was one that involved some frog people type aliens, like a farmer saw a craft of some sort land near a river, I believe, and these things that he described as frog-like came out, and for lack of a better word, took some buckets out to the river or grabbed some sheep. It was a crazy story. Do you remember that no, story? I, no, that doesn't ring a bell at all to me. I've got to hit the archives and dig that one up. Is that a Utah one? It was a Utah one, and it was, I think, I think that's a Ron story, because if I'm not mistaken, it was down in the Price area, or Book Cliffs, or somewhere around no, there. I, I, I couldn't even add to that right now. I don't even... I've well, got one more quick one for you that's well, a good one. Let's do it. Where I, where I stood, actually, on the exact spot of the landing. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, here's how this came about. I stood on that spot years after the fact. I didn't know. I knew nothing of it. It occurred in the spring of 1972, up in Woodland, Utah. I know you're familiar with the countryside because you're a great observer and a traveler. I love uh, Utah, as you know, near Camas, on the way up to Wolf Creek. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know the curve. Yes, sir. Well, this occurred in Woodland in the spring of '72. And this occurred in a uh, on a remote lane there, in a pasture of a of a dairy farm, mind you. <clears throat> and they were up at that hour because the boys had to get up before to do the milking. <clears throat> and uh, the mother, the boys, and the father, and maybe the young sisters all witnessed it. But 180 yards out from the kitchen window that morning was what they all thought initially was a big motorhome out in the pasture. But to get that motorhome out in the pasture, you would have had to bust down, say, a series of three, four, or five fence levels, you know, to get that motorhome in that location. Right. Well, it wasn't a motorhome, of course. But all the, the milk cows were as far away from this object as possible in the, in the uh, pastures and in the farm there. It's as if they knew something was rotten in Denmark. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so they w- noticed this thing going up and down. There were cottonwood trees nearby. And they was noticing this thing was rising up and down. And those cottonwood trees were, say, 70, 80, 90, 100 feet tall at least. And I don't know too many motorhomes that are capable of doing that. I, I wish well, I did one know of, one, of, one of the one of the brothers, mm-hmm. and he's since deceased. 
Uh, I know this from the mother there, and I've stopped him uh, a few times since this. Uh, but I didn't know about it till 1988. Right. You know, which is uh, 10, what, 16 years later, right? Right, right. And when I found about it, I asked if I could come out and speak to the family. And, yeah, come on. You're welcome. Come on up. So I went out on location and heard it all. And, uh, and one of the sons who dared to get close to this object, it was a... Uh, uh, and unfortunately, that son had been murdered through the years, she told me, on one of my uh, uh, trips. Oh, that's uh, a shame. Through, you know, afterwards. So he's not here available to tell his eyewitness account. But he, tra- he went through the fence line to the south and came up that way to get near this object to get a good look at it. And he got about 50 yards away from it. And it had a series of windows, and he could see beams moving in and out, you know, the silhouette. No way. Through the, through the portholes. Through the portholes. So he was he could see beings through the portholes. Yeah, through the window. It had windows, then. Disc-shaped. Uh, I don't remember the dimensions, but I'm going to say at least minimum of 60, 90, 120 feet plus is what I, I don't know that the exact, but I'm just going to throw some figures, maybe even bigger. Well, anyway, uh, that's what he saw close at, at around 4 a.m. in the morning, that particular, in 1972. That is and, crazy. Uh, and so when I'm there in 88, in fact, I went up there with Mildred Beasley. Did you ever meet her? No, I don't I took, believe I did. I think I talked on the phone once with her. But I, I took Mildred up with me that day. It was snowing March 1st, night. When I found out about this from one of their cousins, and then I got on the phone and we discussed, and I said, I'm coming up. Can I? Yes, you're welcome. Come on. And so I grabbed Mildred Beasley that day on March 1st, on a, kind of a snowy day up there on Woodland, 1988. She stayed behind with the, the lady that. And I walked out there. She told me exactly where it was from the backyard. And those cottonwood trees are still there. They've probably grown some in Oh, and by the way, they said they went out the next day in 72, and it's kind of a damp area because there's salt creek and springs that kind of makes, you know, the moss. And it was bone dry. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, bone dry where it had been. Okay. Did it? Well, look, anyway, let's so it was. It was. So there I go, walk it out to where this X marks the spot, and uh, of course I don't see anything that would indicate, you know, that many years later that such an event took place. But I guess my claim is uh, based on the story, and if it's truthful, and I have, I have next to zero doubt that it's. That there's that it's a complete truthful statement, truthful interview. I mean, these people are too pure and good of heart to make this you know type of thing up. Right. Yeah. And and, uh, and it all and it all it, it all uh, squares up when you analyze it and everything with the statements and events. Yeah. There's no holes in this. But uh, anyway, having 
said that. So I guess my uh, feather in the hat, if you want to call it that, and maybe you don't, is that I actually should want uh, an extraterrestrial craft, if that's what it was, and I suppose 100% that's what it was, of course. Yeah. I, I got, so I'm not boasting, but I stood right where it marked spot, Brian. That is so in my, cool. In my adventures here on this planet. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool thing yeah. to do. You've been uh, there. So let's, see, let's see anything else on this. Same location. There's right in front of the little lane in front of the farmhouse. There are two, the two sisters. Years later, I'll throw this in real quick. Oh, there's so many of these. I'd have to have a list and do a big... But they're uh, out walking on the lane, and then one, uh, one particular night, they're almost hand in hand. This beam of light comes down from the sky... Uh, it strikes the one sister and doesn't affect the other sister at all. And then shortly after that, she has breaks out like she's been sunburned, uh, short of breath, tired, fatigued, headache, you know, all these symptoms. Mm-hmm. And if I remember, if I remember right, I think they took her into the hospital in, uh, Provo or Salt Lake after that, if I recall correctly. And, uh, but that, see, that's, a, you know, that's... Real, yeah, actual that, accounts with, that, like, evidence, that yeah. That came after 72. That was probably in the, oh, let's see, that was probably in the 70s or early 80s right there, because I was up, uh, well, I can't remember the exact year, but... Uh, so cool. But that's right in front of the same farmhouse of the dairy uh, family that had the uh, landing in the pasture. So we're, again, proximity is a huge. So if you wanted to add the 180 yards from the kitchen window to the country lane from where the crab land, two separate events, uh, maybe add another 50 yards at best. So let's stretch it. So... The two events are only, uh, uh, say, 210, 20 yards from each other. Yeah. Woodland, Utah. But not very many people know this. In fact, very few. Very few That's right. people today even know that this, these events occurred. That's right. And if I'm not mistaken, there was an event... Near, oh, I don't even know. But anyway, yeah, there was, there's been other events in that same area. So, this Oh, I'm is, sure there has. Are you, that, real quick, I'll make this one really quick because this was reaching into another, you're into hot strangeness. You bet. So here we go. You bet. So the lady, uh, the, the uh, dairy, uh, she probably passed away. The years are flying here. So she, she, she uh, recommends me to go up on the hillside and talk to uh, a woman and her family up there that had a pterodactyl sighting. Holy hell. And I said, really? So I did. I went and saw them and interviewed them. And uh, do we have... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go into it. So anyway, I go up there, and uh, she tells me that uh, this happened years ago. Kids were out on the swing in the yard, and the kids saw it up close and personal, and she saw it when she walked out to check on the 
children are all grown now, years and years and years, you know. But here's this great big, described as, uh, you know, we're not talking about a stork or a, uh, or a uh, uh, what do you call it, condor or anything like, there's not condors around Vultures, here, or, yeah, about, nothing like a California, like, well, yeah, the California you know, condor, the, sure. Yeah, got color in it, and uh, swooping low, close to the swing set, and a few passes, and, a, but, and, they, and everybody was panicked at that time. I talked to one of the boys, that one of the witnesses himself, and their mother was a witness. Too. But anyway, so they go to, uh, I mean, these are country folk, of course. So they go over to Dinosaur Land, which you're familiar with over there uh, north of Vernal in the museum. You bet. Shortly after the fact. And uh, point to the pterodactyl. I guess they have a... a uh, sure. Pterodactyl. Yeah. I've not been in there myself. But anyway. And they all agreed that's what the hell they saw that day. What? Unbelievable. So this is so, is crypto. So you can, if you want to know why, go into the literature. I'm not going to cover that right now. It's too lengthy. But go into the literature and cover all the theories of those type of sightings. Fascinating crypto. So go, ahead. go ahead. Say what you're saying. Yeah, that's just unbelievable. How When you really, like if you step back, all of the stories and tales and events and cases that you just mentioned, if you stepped back from a map and looked at it, it's pretty significant. Yes. It is, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's really, really we need to we need to chat more about it for sure. It's it's pretty yeah, fascinating. There's, so much, uh, there's miles of this stuff. Of you know, right here in you grew up in Utah and, I mean huh. There's tons of these incidences that have occurred right here in this. Oh, are you, are you aware of the recent monolith that was spotted in southern Utah? Fascinating. Isn't that interesting? Did you get, did I send you, well, I'll tell you, what, we'll discuss that one off here. That, that just happened, spotted by a state helicopter. Uh, Department of uh, Public Safety helicopter. It was a couple of highway uh, patrol, I thought, that posted the image anyway, doing a sheep count. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, but it, somehow it seems like I... There's I more to it, to, obviously. I haven't been able to totally emerge myself in other than the initial report. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to jump the gun and say a lot of things right now. Uh, but uh, it's almost reminiscent. Now, on the mundane, it could be somebody that's put that piece of material in that location. But that location is so remote. And, uh, I mean, it just seems almost unpractical. But, but I don't want to jump the gun. I don't know enough right now. But um, um, it does seem out of place. Well, it's reminiscent of uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know, when all the chimps are dancing around the, the monolith. The monolith, that's right, the monolith. But, uh, I need to watch that show here, again. The thing here is they decide the officiality. Involved. Now, they, 
they part, they they landed the helicopter. They were so weirded out by this. They landed the helicopter and hiked and found it when they first spotted this thing from the air. And it baffled the crap out. They don't still don't know what it is. But they decided well, naturally, no no brainer, to not give away the details of the location and everything because they don't, you know, want which really makes practical sense. Sure, sure. You don't want a bunch yeah, of yahoos out there. A horde of individuals trying to find this location in the remote outback. It's not worth it. Hey, with, you know, to get yeah, it's right. the general public up there stirring around in the remote outback. Yeah. As you, as you can well understand. Hey, go ahead. It's just so crazy. Yeah, and I mean, that that story is just from this week. I mean, this stuff is still happening on a regular basis, and it's just funny how a great deal of the population won't even take a second glance at any of it. Oh, they won't. However, let me, I'll tell you off air, I don't want to get into it now because I don't want to stretch something I not feel really super con- I. It's easy to jump the gun on some of it, but I, I can't do it on this one because I just don't know all the details at this time or enough to really let it all hang out here. Mm-hmm. However, I spoke to, and I'll tell you this one, but let's not go there on this podcast here until further sure. information is gathered here. But I sent you some other links that Dr. True Lott sent me. Oh, okay, did, yes, did, yes. Did you get those about I did. the Nazis? I did. Being a, okay. Southern Utah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very All interesting. Right, I'll, I'll just put it this way. As far as this thing, I, let's not get into it too deeply because it's just now served. It was believed, and there's information put out officially, that there was uh, members of the Nazi party in Southern Utah in that well, I don't know if, if he, his area is the same or if this is another. I, I don't even know all that, the exact location of this. But we're but, talking, yeah, we're talking. Supposedly yeah. back in the day, even back in 38, the, uh, the low, all the, in that area, the locals felt there was a, oh, I don't want to get, I don't want to be too far reaching here for people. Oh, let's leave. do it. Let's do it. There was a Nazi party that was searching for something very important. Extra. There were even articles written. Really? Yeah, it initially came out in 1938 in that area. Let me say southern Utah. Outside of uh, Cedar City. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. that, that, That terrain I saw in a news clip. Uh, that looks like it'd be, to me, I don't know for sure, but looks like it'd be a lot further east. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It might uh, be. But I don't know. I can't say with any certainty, though. It's a beautiful image, or it, it does, it is reminiscent of, uh, the chimps dancing around the monolith. I think that's a really good way to describe it, man. Oh, uh, we got to talk again, Mr. Layton. I'm so glad yeah, yeah, okay. that you were... All right, okay, we're good. Good to catch it up with you again. All right, let's talk again soon, and uh, thanks again. And I, I, and I hope your audience enjoyed this uh, weird high strangeness. Gosh, how could we not? It's just getting weirder and weirder each day, so... <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, very good. 
Thanks for calling. Good to speak with you again, Ryan, and we'll uh, chat again soon. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Epic, epic, classic Utah researcher and classic Utah stories uh, from Bigfoot territory. And, you know, I can't wait to delve deeper into the, really, these are important stories, archives, oral, you know, investigations detailed with some have video. It's pretty amazing uh, how much research and how much activity when it comes to the purported Sasquatch slash Bigfoot in Utah, how, how much activity has actually taken place. And I think it's important to talk to these masters of the realm in their day and actually still uh, when it comes to information and the research that they did and documented, it's important to archive this in any format you can, even if that's just podcasting. I've tried to uh, talk to the best and I'll continue to do the same. I won't bore you. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around. In my time machine, third eye feeling like an evisine. Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off. Come blast off in my time machine, third eye feeling like an evisine. Blast off.